Thank you, and, and uh, I'm now we're going to go to questions, and I'll recognize myself for five minutes. Um, Ms. Schultz, uh, how is it different for a homeless veteran in rural Illinois than it is in uh, Chicago or other major cities? Uh, thank you for your question. In rural communities for homeless veterans, you lack no public transportation. I mean, there is no public transportation. And the access to everything is impossible, really. So if you don't have, if you don't live in a community where you have access to more jobs, apartments, um, all the things, even healthcare to access, healthcare access, VA care, it's it's just very different. It's a night and day, really. So as far as the the actual homeless veterans, um, urban. There are a lot more urban programs and for rural homeless veteran to try to find anything? So I believe for an urban veteran, homeless veteran, you have more resources, you have clothing banks, you have food pantries. We have those things in rural areas. They're just more widespread and harder to get to. Um, in your opinion, what can VA do uh, to make to help make sure rural homeless veterans are treated equally to those ones in the urban areas? Um, just expanding healthcare access programs to support them. I mean, just things need to be more readily available. Okay, Mr. Lovell, uh, HR thirty eight forty eight and the Home Act that passed the House late last year would include authority for VA to provide similar assistance with rides to appointments for homeless veterans. Would, th would this additional authority uh, alleviate some of the strain on the uh, MAC, uh, B, uh, MACB and the other uh, providers seeking to help, have help the homeless veterans? Chairman Voss, thank you for that question. Um, that absolutely could uh, assist in, in the process of us connecting with those veterans. I think that uh, one thing I'd highlight in, in the state of Minnesota, the DAV, in partnership with the VA, provides uh, numerous rides. Uh, currently, those rides very specifically have to be related to, to VA healthcare. Um, if there was an expansion on where those vehicles could be used for or another way to access uh, transportation that didn't require these veterans to have a vehicle, Many of them can't, many of them aren't driving anymore. Um, anything that it, it addresses exactly what was just discussed about getting said veteran to the, that resource is going right. to be helpful. Yeah. Well, first off, I wanna say thank you to each one of the panelists because uh, I'm gonna turn it over to, to Mr. Tano for his questions, but let me say this. When you come from areas that are rural, like I do, uh, and I love many of the people on this committee do, um, any unique ways that you can see to help us, to help VA, to make sure that they can provide those services. You know, when, when, when we talk, started talking about telehealth, everybody thought how great it is, and it's true, it could handle for the rural area. It handles great for the rural area if you have a connection. And quite often, uh, we've watched in the rural areas, uh, getting a connection might even be easier than getting uh, potable water too, but that's a whole different story for the rural areas. But uh, it is a unique, and, and I appreciate you being here, and I will now turn it over to uh, Ranking Member Chicano for questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, uh, 
Mr. Nygren, thank you, Dr. Nygren, so, thank you so much for being here. I had the pleasure of visiting Wendell Rock uh, uh, in 2022. Um, in your testimony, you advocate for Congress to appropriate funds to build a full-service VA medical center uh, in the Navajo Nation. Who do you envision this facility serving? Just veterans or all the, all, all Navajo Nation citizens? I envision, <clears throat> thank you, uh, Honorable uh, Takano, for coming out uh, last year. I uh, just missed you just by a few months. Hopefully you come back out. Uh, I would love to. It's a beautiful country if, uh, and love to be the guest of uh, Representative Crane. So. All right. <laughs> well, thank you to both of you. And then the first thing I think about is I think it's, it's going to serve all veterans in the area. I think that not only does it would benefit Navajo veterans and benefit Hopi veterans, Ute veterans, and non-Native American veterans, just because it'd be a lot closer to the Four Corners area, because we're such in a unique, beautiful area that if that facility was actually built in Chinle, Arizona, it would actually bring a lot more people closer to where their travel distances are not as far. But I do know that most of our Navajo citizens do use Indian Health Services to the best of their abilities. But I do know if this facility is built, it would really benefit the 10,000 plus Navajo veterans and probably a lot more that haven't really realized some of their benefits that are available. Well, have we given thought to a possible joint facility uh, uh, with VA and the IHS so that uh, we could benefit from the, your, your people could benefit from the economy of scale uh, to bring out specialists to, to make it a real, uh, a much fuller, a fuller array of services uh, and we could justify that by uh, opening it up to both uh, the IHS, benefic IHS beneficiaries as well as VA beneficiaries. Is that an idea you're open to? I think, Mr. Takano, I think that's a, that would be a great idea. And I know that one of the things that currently we, we, we're going to reopen a, a small contract agreement with the Chinle IHS, but most of the concerns with the veterans is they want to be treated more tailored as if they showed up at a VA center instead of being uh, just treated like a normal uh, Na Native American going to that facility. So that was one of the things that I've been told is let's make sure they treat us like veterans instead of uh, them not even asking us if we're a veteran or not. I think that's a very valid concern. Um, and I think it's important that it is, that it is a primarily a VA facility, but there has historically been this, uh, this connection between IHS and VA. Um, and I hope to talk to Representative Crane more about this idea, because I believe as far as directing resources to a, a major facility, this is one way to, to maybe get it done. Uh, I was impressed by the fact that you have your own college uh, and that you have a nursing program, as uh, what I recall. Um, and, and of course, uh, as Dr. Uh, Holmes has mentioned, that one of the best ways to get health practitioners into rural areas is to train, to get medical residencies and training opportunities into these areas. Uh, I have uh, Sherman Indian Institute, which many of your young people come to in Riverside, California. Do you think there might be ways for us to work together to create pipelines of training opportunities for students that come to Sherman, students that go to your own schools uh, and to your own, community, to your own college uh, to train for these medical professions? Honorable uh, Takano, I, I think that's a great idea. I think that one of the things that we really need within that area is trying to develop that pipeline of nurses that are a lot local so that people are not 
crisscrossing across the country to take on contracts for a few weeks at a time because what will happen is you'll have people that come out for short stints of time, but they don't truly understand the culture, they don't understand the people, but if we can train up our own people, whether they go to your pro at the program at Sherman Indian School. Just so you know, my grandma went to Sherman a long time ago, and one time I was there, and she showed me a picture of where they would pick up dates and stuff, and, and, and things like that. I know it's a long ways from Navajo, but it, it's one of those side topics to where I think that I can't believe people travel that far back in the 40s and the 50s, so far away from home, but I'm definitely open to what we can do with the Sherman Institute and in our own school. And I know that Northern Arizona University is working on developing a medical school. And I think that's something that Representative Crane and myself and you, we can talk with Northern Arizona University to figure out, is there a, a program that can be geared towards Navajo nurses and doctors to be a lot closer to Navajo? Thank you. Mr. Chairman, if you might permit me to just ask one question of Dr. Of, uh, Dr. Holmes. Thank you for being here, Dr. Holmes. Um, you know, you talk about um, ways that, other ways that VA and healthcare systems could attract and retain mid and later career uh, professionals in rural areas. Can you point to any success stories about how that could, ha how that has already happened or could happen? Yeah, thank you for the question. So I, I think um, one of the themes that, that I've heard all day and at this panel as well is the notion that um, rural communities need to design programs that are tailored to the assets that are there. Um, and if uh, some communities have really strong broadband, and that might be a solution there, and others may have a scope of practice that enables, I'm, I'm getting to your, your answer, I promise. Um, and so all that is to say that um, healthcare systems are often really innovative at this, and they recognize what it is that they need in order to keep their uh, mid and late career professionals, and part of that is uh, a career ladder. And uh, particularly in rural areas, you need to be able to see, I have progress in my career and I can move forward. And so um, investments in those kinds of models has, has proven highly effective where um, a medical assistant can become a nurse can, you know, and, can, and, and expand their career over time. Thank you. Uh, I, we have a, a tremendous brain trust here and I hope that we can make some movement on rural healthcare. I yield back. Representative Radwagon. Ms. Schultz, can you describe the specific challenges you face in accessing healthcare services in your rural area, <laughs> such as transportation or distance to the nearest VA facilities? And have, how have these challenges affected your ability to receive timely and adequate healthcare, especially for any ongoing or specialized medical needs? Okay, thank you for the question. So I, my closest VA hospital is two hours from me, but I do have the privilege of having a CBOC in my town. So if I can't, you know, go to the two hours, then I can, I can get care locally. Um, when we dive into community care, because not everything is available at a CBOC, I still have to travel. There's, I have one community care. I still have to travel an hour and 15 minutes to get to a community care provider because it's so hard to get into the community care system that, and it's so, and it's a rural area, so not as many providers are available for community care. I've had um, difficult, personally difficulty getting referrals to specialists. 
Um, so I use my private insurance to do those things, which again, I'm blessed to be able to do. I work with um, veterans who do not have those same privileges and they miss appointments because of VA, VA option for transportation or there is no options for transportation or they're working. A lot of veterans who um, I work with have to choose between going to work and they don't have the kinds of jobs that allow them time off for medical appointments. They don't have PTO, so they don't have that access to care readily available. So there's, um, as far as female providers, again, any for specialized female care, I would have to travel two hours to get to the facility for that care. So in your testimony, you mentioned mobile medical units. What has your experience been like in regards to receiving health care at mobile medical units? And have they provided you with adequate care and met all your needs? So I do not have any personal experience with mobile medical units. I just like don't want to bring problems without solutions. And I feel like mobile medical units coming into rural areas would be beneficial for our veterans who do not have transportation, or if they have transportation, it's only getting them locally, right, to their basic needs, to their job. Um, the, I did look a little research with the mobile medical units that were deployed starting in August of 23, and it appeared to me that they were really in urban areas. So the fo refocusing some of those units or getting additional units into rural areas um, could really be a game changer. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back the balance of my time. Thank you. General Bergman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, Mr. Lovell, um, I'm familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with Scott County. My dad, World War II vet's last um, community service was driving veterans from around Scott County into the VA Medical Center over by the airport. And it was one of the proudest moments of his life, especially it wasn't about so much getting them to the appointment, which was essential, but the interaction that he had uh, with them as some, some old guys who'd been around a long time sharing stories towards, uh, you know, towards end of life, if you will. But uh, I thank you for all you do across, you know, across uh, the state of Minnesota. Um, Dr. Nygren, I greatly appreciate you being here and, and providing the testimony. Uh, Michigan's first district, which I represent, is home to seven federally recognized tribes. All are in rural and remote areas and all with a long history of service to our country in uniform. And uh, some of my most um, yeah, and heartwarming, fulfilling interactions over these last seven years in Congress is, is to attend the different tribal um, ceremonies at different times of the year to, uh, to dance and, uh, and participate in the ceremonies because we, we are all, you know, we're all thankful for everybody's service over time. Uh, one of the recommendations in your testimony is to foster collaboration between Congress the VA and tribal leaders and tribal health authorities. Um, and I'm gonna ask one question and just say, uh, 
any steps that you think you'd like to take, next steps you'd like to take to accomplish this, but is part of this the potential for utilization of excess space in tribal health clinics that are rural and remote, that, that here you have the existing tribal health clinic and you have space, is there an opportunity for us to better deliver some of that rural and remote care because uh, veterans are not driving by the tribal health clinic because they're not a member you know, of the tribe. So I'd, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you, uh, Congressman uh, Bergman. I thank you for the tribes that you represent, the seven tribes, and I'm very happy that you're open to uh, being a part of their traditions and cultures as my uh, my representative is too as well. So thank you so much. And and I think this question also kind of comes back to Mr. Uh, Tanaka's Takano's uh, question as well too, is what can we do to better sur utilize? Because all of us know that any healthcare facility in rural America if we can find a way to collaborate and bring them together to work with the VA is good for all of us because it's already tough enough to get water, electricity, and sewer. So if there's a tribal health facility that's there, uh, my recommendation would be to, uh, to continue that collaboration so that veterans feel like when they walk in, not only when they walk into that tribal facility, but if it's dedicated, a, a part of it is dedicated to them so that they understand that a veteran's gonna be talking to me. They know the challenges that I've, I've, they've gone through and things like that. So I believe that if we can continue to uh, foster that spirit of collaboration to figure out how can we combine the VA and the tribal facilities to work together so that a veteran does show up, I think that will definitely uh, work a lot easier and it actually would make it a lot more feasible because I know there's times when it, uh, it's a tremendous task to bring a facility out to any r remote rural areas but if you can already tap into the existing infrastructures that are there to, to kind of build off of it I think that would be a, a great way to start those discussions as well. Well when you think about it certain um, things that are done procedures performed um, pharmacies potentially, whatever it happens to be, the idea of shared services, you already have a physical facility. How do we get maximum utilization out of that uh, for all concerned? And I, I just wanna thank you all for being here and I'll yield back uh, about 30 seconds here uh, for the good of the order. Thank you all. Representative Crane, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, President Nigren, thank you again for being here today, sir. Um, thank you for everything you do uh, for the Navajo Nation. It's definitely critical for us to hear your perspective on these issues. As we previously discussed, Navajo veterans face extremely length lengthy trips to VA health centers, often driving multiple hours just for one health visit. Um, at some clinic locations, they may not even be able to get that type of specialty care. In your opinion, what is the greatest barrier to care for Navajo, Navajo veterans? Uh, thank you, uh, Representative Crane. To the greatest one that I think about is the distances that they travel. Because if you've ever been to Navajo country, it's very, as, as, as we're speaking now, there's uh, big weather that's coming through and elders are stuck in communities where even it's hard to get a greater or a backhoe in some of those communities. It's one of those things where I think about where if we can bring the services a lot closer to them and more accessible, that would actually make it a lot easier on them because for them to travel down to Phoenix, I get that they've told us that the mileage reimbursement is enough 
to just cover the gas, but it doesn't account for the vehicles that they drive because a lot of the vehicles that they drive are four by four vehicles because of the rural areas that it, nine miles a gallon is only gonna get you so far when you get down to Phoenix. So those are some of the challenges and the, all the other challenges that a lot of these uh, veterans are elderly. They're either Vietnam veterans or, or they're, they're, they're in that age where it's very difficult for them to travel. They're going to have to have people to actually take them down there. So to me, if one of the greatest challenges would be to bring it a lot closer to them. Absolutely. Now, we talked about a possible VA hospital improving telehealth reliability, adjusting per diem rates to relieve costly financial burdens. Are there anything else on that list that we can do to help uh, veterans on the Navajo Nation? I think when it comes to, uh, Honorable uh, Representative Crane, when it comes to telehealth, as everyone mentioned here, when we talk telehealth for rural communities, it's just, it all, it all depends on the services that, 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 that we can actually get to actually get video conferencing. But our veterans on Navajo, they actually pr really prefer people to deal with because a lot of them only speak Navajo. Uh, they don't quite understand a lot of the, the challenges that, 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 that a lot of people can use of telephone. A lot of them don't prefer that. They really prefer in-person uh, discussions, one-on-one -on -one discussions, and to be able to relate to someone. So I think that that might be another, another obstacle that really to think about when it comes to telehealth. It's just there's that generation that would really prefer in-person uh, meetings instead of telehealth. Absolutely, and if you had to rank those three priorities, the hospital, telehealth, and then adjusting per diem rates, would it go in that order, one, two, and three, just like that? Yep, they'd be very close to one another. Okay, uh, thank you, President Nigren, for uh, being here today. Uh, one, one question for uh, Mr. Lavald, real quick. Sir, I know uh, your big issue is veteran homelessness. What's the, what's the uh, I know there's several reasons that our veterans wind up homeless. What's the biggest reason that uh, you tend to see uh, our veterans becoming homeless? Representative Crane, thank you for that question. Um, as it relates to the rural veterans specifically or just veterans in general, uh, veterans who are finding themselves homeless uh, have essentially run out of resources. They've run out of, um, they've, they've maybe burned bridges. They've run out of family. They've run out of uh, you know places that they can actually go before they're actually homeless. They're rarely is somebody waking up in the next day, they're, they're homeless. Uh, we have seen and witnessed that a lot of mental health issues are, are what are contributing to uh, decision-making that then lends them into uh, difficult situations with their family or friends, uh, maybe uh, creating incarceration uh, situations as well. But uh, the mental health component, I think, is, is a very big piece of, of why an individual becomes homeless and, and honestly why some veterans choose to be homeless is because they, they're not um, connected to the mental health services that they might need to help them uh, see a solution in front of them that, that is viable. Yeah, that's something a lot of people don't understand, that some veterans actually do choose that lifestyle, at least for a period of time. Is that correct? That, that absolutely is correct. You know, we'll, but we continue to uh, reach you know, out to these individuals with different solutions, hoping that the next opportunity, um, maybe we've built that relationship to offer something new. Thank you, Mr. Lovell. I yield back.
Thank you. And uh, ranking member, do you have any, first of all, I want to say thank you to the panel here, but do you have any closing remarks? No, we've got to go vote. And I appreciate the courtesy and let me ask uh, Dr. Holmes uh, more questions. And I want to say thank you to the ranking member. I want to thank uh, all of the witnesses for joining us here today, especially uh, the second panel who traveled from all over from rural America to try to get here today and I'm providing access for the best health care benefits and veterans. As I asked earlier, I, if you come up with ideas, please bring them to us and any suggestions you may have. You know, we want to make sure that uh, we do this and, and, and we, we, we want to make sure that our veterans are provided for no matter where they live and where they choose to live. Um, I appreciate ranking to member Takano and the members of the committee for standing shoulder to shoulder with me in a bipartisan manner to do that. Uh, I ask unanimous consent that all members shall have five legislative days in which to revise and extend their remarks and include extraneous uh, material. Hearing no objection, so ordered, uh, this hearing is now adjourned.